Good morning. That was not their fault. It was mine. Just want to say that. Anybody who's been a sound man said amen, right? It's like everybody's been a sound man if you've grown up in church. All right. How is everybody this morning? Good? Um, Where's my coffee drinkers at? Fellow addicts unite. That's great. How about the rest of you? Equally excited, equally excited. Hey, um, I I just want you to know something that we noticed that's a little different than South Central. You you may be like, why are you comparing me? Because, well, I've been there. So um, you guys get up earlier and are way more energetic. My husband was like, sis, we got down like an hour and a half before this thing starts. And the Starbucks line looked like somebody was trying to get into a Taylor Swift concert. Like, what is going on? And he said, and I'm hearing them talk about their workout. They already finished. And I was like, hey, it's, I mean, it's the Southeast. They're just, they're just perkier. So I'm excited. All right. I am very excited today um, to talk to you about my absolute favorite topic in the world, and that is Jesus. Because Jesus changed my life. Jesus changed my family's life. Jesus has changed my history. And if you will let him guide your life, he will continue to change yours too. And I also want to show you my family, which is my second favorite topic. So hit me with that picture. This is my family. Aren't they cute? They are wonderful. I love them. My husband, I just want to say a shout out that he's going to be doing one of the mega breakouts. He's an executive high performance coach in addition to being a um, pastor and former athlete and all of these different things. He coaches like CEOs of banks and really, really large companies on how to basically be more productive in their life. It's, it's amazing what he does, but he's going to be talking about how to live your life post-graduation, and you don't want to miss it. So I'm just telling you that. I, I don't know any of the other three people. I bet they're great, but I know him well because he gave me those five children. And can you hit me with the other picture? Yes. So this is the most accurate picture I can show you. That is Carolina Lee, and she is my CEO. She runs our family and is right more than me. That's Julietta over on the left side with the glasses. She is my warrior princess. And if you need intercessory prayer, she's your girl. Um, Also, that's Ella. She is the Disney princess. If you'll notice, she's not smiling because she didn't want to. And then... Jacob over there, he is trying to figure out what he can hit with the toy in his hand. And he did later. And then Coda, that is my 17 or 18 month old when they're five, you know, when it's your fifth one, you don't keep up with that anymore. So he's 17 or 18 months old and he is an absolute blast. And that's my family. Now you know them. And so today we're going to be talking about a a few different things. You can take that off, even though it is incredibly cute. We're going to be talking about a few different things, but we're going to start by reading John 14, 1 through 4. John 14, 1 through 4. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. And this is Jesus talking. 
My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back. I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Today, we're gonna talk about the big picture of Christianity. You know, worldview is a, is a really big thing right now. And one thing that you should always be aware of is there is no neutral worldview. There is no neutral worldview. People will try to convince you that a secular worldview, whatever that means, because there's so many different ones, is neutral. It's not. There's no neutral worldview. And so today we're going to talk about the macro of Christianity that drives the micro. Because if you aren't aware of kind of this macro vision of Christianity, it's a little bit hard to walk it out in the day today. And so the first thing you need to know is that heaven is a real place. Heaven is a real place. We don't believe that it's a state of mind. We don't believe that it's an idea that we lie to people who are dying and tell them about so that they will go easier. We don't believe that it's a thought or a dream or an idea. We as Christians, as Christ followers, if you're kind of wondering what we believe, we believe that heaven is a real place. And then we believe this. We believe that God is there in a way that we can't experience here on earth. Have you ever had the feeling that you're just like, man, I just, I feel like there's more of God. I just want, I want more. And yes, you can have more here, but there is a portion of God that does not, is not available to you here. Because it's the difference between having God's spirit here and being face to face with God for all eternity. There's a difference. And that's why that longing for more never goes away. Heaven is a real place. God is there in a way that we can't experience here on earth. And the best part, you're invited. You are invited. I am invited. But I'm not just invited. I belong. Anybody ever have the joyful experience of your mom calling your friend's mom and making them invite you to a party. And you found out at the party. And you're there, and you're invited, but you don't belong. Sometimes we can feel that way in our life. Well, I know I'm invited, but uh, I don't feel, you know, like, I'm invited because everybody's invited, not because, like, God actually wants me there. You're invited. You're you're invited. You, specifically, you are invited and you belong. And hear this, you belong there more than you have ever belonged anywhere in your life. One of the great secrets of life is that you will find out that everyone feels like they don't belong to a certain degree. Everybody. 
Everybody has that feeling. And there's a reason. You were created to live your life in the full presence of God. You were created for Eden. You were created for heaven, where you would have these face-to-face encounters with God. So yes, you don't fully belong here, but you fully belong there. Heaven is a real place. You can encounter God there in a way that you can't encounter him here. There, there's, there's a portion of God that's, and you, that's the more. And, and you're invited and you belong. And we have to keep that in mind because we are eternal beings headed for eternity where there will be eternal rewards. You're an eternal being. That's why death seems so wrong. It doesn't just feel painful. It feels wrong because we were created to live forever. We were created as eternal beings. We were created for eternity. And you, whether you believe this or not, are an eternal being and you are headed to eternity and there, there will be eternal rewards. Jesus said it. He said that there would be rewards for what we did and what we did not do. Now, I'm not talking about salvation, but I'm talking about rewards. God cares how you spend your life. He doesn't just care about what you don't do. And he doesn't just care about your introspective life. Do you hear me? That's a relic of a way of thinking that you could go off and just have an introspective devotional life and that by doing that, you would benefit all of humanity. And it's just not biblical. Because Christianity is an active religion. It requires us to to have this introspective life where we are reading our Bible and we are praying and we are communing with God and we are fasting and we are practicing solitude and we are practicing these things and we're holding ourselves apart from certain things in the world. But you know what all of that is in preparation to do? Serve humanity. Matthew 25, it's like one of my absolute favorite chapters in the Bible because it it talks about what matters to Jesus. And he says, feed people, give them water, clothe people, visit prisoners, take care of those who are sick and dying. This active religion that requires us to put into action this devotion that we have to our king. We are eternal beings and we are headed to eternity where there will be eternal rewards because we, we were created to live in a perfect place. We, you know, when God created the earth, it was good. I want to just mention that work is not a part of the curse. He created us to work and to work hard. 
but he created a perfect place for us to create and to work and to labor and to do and to take dominion. We were created to live in this perfect place and then sin entered the world. And through one man, Adam, sin entered the world. But then through one man, Jesus, there was a rescue mission mounted in the heavenlies where God decided to send himself to rescue you and I, to create an opportunity and a bridge for us to one day live again as eternal beings with our creator in a perfect place. And so the question kind of remains, what do we do until then? I mean, if, we, if you believe like I do, that heaven's a real place, that God exists there in a way that we can't experience him here on earth, that I'm invited, that I belong, that I as an eternal being am headed somewhere into eternity someday, and that by believing on Christ, by living my life for him, I, I, I get to go to heaven. What do we do until then? So that's what we're gonna talk about today. Because this is my absolute favorite until then story. It's called The Good Samaritan, and it's found in Luke 10. Are you ready? One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Good answer, good answer. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor. And who is my neighbor? And so Jesus replied with a story. And this is kind of how the story goes. You can read along and just see if I get it right, okay? So a Jewish man is traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he is attacked by bandits, stripped, beaten up, and left for dead. Along comes a priest, saw him there, crosses to the other side of the road, and passes him by. And then a temple assistant basically does the same thing, only he went over and looked at him and then continued to leave him there. And then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him, went over to him, soothed his wounds, bandaged him, put him on his donkey, and took him to an inn where he took care of him. And then he hands the innkeeper some money, and he says, look, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Then Jesus pauses the story, turns back to the lawyer and says, 
Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Who would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? This is what the lawyer says. He says, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus says, yes, and go and do the same. Okay, this story was earth shattering for its time period. Not because it showed somebody giving mercy. That was a concept within Jewish culture and many, many cultures because it's who God really created us to be as as humans, okay? Not because somebody got beaten up and and hurt along the road from Jerusalem to Jericho because that happened all the time. What was earth shattering about this story was the way that Jesus used the Samaritan. Because Jews and Samaritans did not get along. So Jews were an oppressed people in their own country. But Samaritans were the other. They didn't have the right theology. They didn't worship in the right place. They were considered kind of the bastards of the faith. They weren't legitimate. They were not somebody that you would consider ever doing business with speaking to, unless you absolutely had to, certainly weren't going to marry them. You certainly weren't going to go into their town on purpose and engage with them. These were the hated people, and they treated, the Jewish people treated Samaritans terribly because they were the villains of every story. They were the bad guys. And so can you imagine what it felt like to the crowd? This lawyer asked this question, and there's the poor beaten up man, and then all of a sudden, like, the temple assistant and the the priest, who are the heroes of the day, don't do anything. And he says, the despised Samaritan. And maybe he paused for dramatic effect. I don't know. And everybody's like, oh, no. A Samaritan, what's he going to do to this guy? Can you imagine what it felt like for the crowd when they realized that Jesus took the villain of their story and made him the hero? Jesus took the villain of their story that they had been telling themselves that had given them an excuse to treat those people that way, that had become a habit and ingrained in their culture, and he turned that villain into the hero This is our sign that Jesus doesn't care about our prejudices, that he's not interested in our opinions on how good every other brand of Christian is, and that there's probably going to be people in heaven that you don't think should be there. But it's a great story, right? I mean, it's a fantastic story. I mean, this is one of the most well-known stories from the Bible in the whole world. I mean, you even have like Good Samaritan Laws. I love stories. Anybody love stories? Anybody love movies? Right? There's some type of like big controversy between Marvel and what's the other one? Is that it? 
let's, you know, let's just, for fun, who are my Marvel people? Okay, that's good, good to hear. Who are my, what is it? DC. Who are my DC comics? Is that what you said? Who are my DC comics people? There's less of you, so you must be the nerds. That's how you know. Anytime there's less of you, that makes you the nerds. But anyway, I love stories. Anybody love watching movies? And, and do you do this? Do you put yourself in the story? Okay, I know you do this because we were all created to do this because I've watched this with five children. You know what you should never show your three-year-old? Kung Fu Panda. <laughs> Not because of content. No, it's fine. The content's fine. Like, it's a great story. You know, believe in yourself, whatever. Because they become the dadgum kung fu panda in your house from that moment on. And so I, I learned this lesson once with my second daughter. My first daughter would not have gotten up and kicked anything ever in her whole life. She was like, I'm not interested. I'm going to read now. And so that was just the way she was. But my second daughter saw Kung Fu Panda and she saw Tigress. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's okay. You will one day. Anyway, she saw Tigress and, and that's like the, the warrior, like, like, like tiger. And suddenly she is Tigress. We have to call her Tigress. And she is like jumping over. It's just crazy. And you, know, you would have thought I would have learned my lesson, but I showed my three-year-old son, Jacob, Kung Fu Panda, and I just regret it with all of my heart because he never decides to be like, you know, the duck who serves the soup. Like he wants to be the Kung Fu artist. And when we read stories in the Bible, we do the same thing, don't we? Well, maybe you don't. I, I do. It, and it's fun to kind of do that. So this is what I want to do. I want to go through this story, and I want to talk about who we are in the story and just get real about it. And maybe this will be a good checklist for you in your life. The first person that I am in the story is I am the lawyer seeking to justify myself. I am the lawyer seeking to justify myself. See, the lawyer didn't come to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He did not come to Jesus to learn from Jesus, to be taught by Jesus, to, to have his thoughts and his paradigms challenged by Jesus, to have his world changed by Jesus. He came to Jesus to justify himself. He, he was looking to limit his liability to justify the behavior that he already liked. To make himself feel better about the way that he lived Christianity. Sometimes we do the same thing. We show up to group. We're not looking to learn from our leader. We're, we're not looking to, to truly be convicted in change. We're looking to justify ourselves. We're looking to, we're, we're looking to justify the way we treat people. We're looking to justify the way we feel about people. See, I, I knew they weren't as spiritual as me. See, I knew they didn't really understand the five-hold ministry. See, I knew that they, I, well, I, did you see the way that looking 
to justify ourselves. But this is the problem. Is that you can't justify yourself. The Apostle Paul, who had persecuted Christians, in Romans tells us that there's no use in justifying ourselves. He says, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. The only way that we become justified is in verse 24. It says all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So you can't justify yourself because justification only comes from Jesus. But when we come to Jesus seeking to justify ourselves, we miss Jesus. Okay, I, I, I am sometimes, often, I am. I am the lawyer seeking to justify myself. But you know what else I am? I am the priest seeking to judge others. Because if you can't justify yourself, and I think that's something that we figure out pretty quickly. That's why it's a sign of immaturity. It's something we figure out pretty quickly. Then what we do is we move on to try to judge others. Because we go, I'm not as bad as them. I'm not as bad as them. And by the way, I don't want to help them or tell them or, or be a part of them because them being them makes me feel much better about me. And so we live our life like in this one-upmanship of I'm just trying to, you know, it's kind of like the way that you survive a bear attack. I don't have to run faster than the bear. I just have to run faster than you. And we live our life that way, looking to judge people, looking to judge others. And we find ourselves being so self-righteous, but it's not a righteousness that comes from being right with God. It's a righteousness that comes from feeling like we're more right than that guy. But see, Jesus makes it really clear that your sister-in-law, your auntie, your best friend, your roommate, that Christian who goes to the BCM so you don't think that they're really a Christian, all of those different people, that they aren't your standard. Because there's only one standard, and that's God himself. And there's only one standard that we're supposed to judge ourselves against, and that's his perfection. And so when we become the priest and we see people who are in the ditch, we can't help but just pass on by because we want to keep nice and clean and we want to keep our schedule and we want to keep all of our priorities and we want to help people who are a lot more like us, who we don't have to go out of our way, all of those things because we're judging and we need them to be broken so we can feel whole. But man, that's no way to live. Because when you're judging people, you're turning them into objects. You're otherizing them. And people 
are not problems for you to solve, and they are not projects for you to manage. They're just people just like you who have thoughts, dreams, and imaginations that are equally valid to your own, who are loved by Jesus just as much as he loves you, who have value inside of them that is equal. But when we seek to judge, we have to create caricatures of those around us. And the one thing you can't connect to, the one thing you can't really love, is a caricature. So, I'm the lawyer seeking to justify myself. That doesn't work. I'm the priest. I'm seeking to judge others. That doesn't work. Because God's my standard, and then I have to face the hard truth that man, I'm the man in the ditch in need of a savior. I'm the man in the ditch in the story. I'm reading the story, but that's me. That's that's me. I'm the man in the ditch in need of a savior. And Jesus is the good Samaritan, the savior of all ditch dwellers. This is the thing. I don't really understand why or how it happened, but we imagine that Jesus gets us out of the ditch once and that's it. What I have found is that through my life, I progressively have this revelation where I go, oh man, in my thinking, I'm still dwelling in that ditch. In my pain, I'm still dwelling in that ditch. That wound still has that part of me in that ditch. And I am still, to this day, to a certain degree, the man in the ditch in need of a savior. And I'm so grateful that Jesus is the savior of all ditch dwellers. If you ever forget that you're the man in the ditch, if you ever forget how much you need him, if you ever forget the brokenness that he found you in, if you ever forget how evil your heart is without his intervention, if you ever forget you'll just go back to being a priest and a lawyer and waste your life justifying yourself and judging others. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that he is the one who comes and has compassion on us. And see, this is the thing about the man in the ditch. He had to rely completely on the Good Samaritan. Do you notice he doesn't even talk in the story? I don't even know if he wakes up. He's completely unconscious. He has to rely on on the good Samaritan, on the despised Samaritan completely. And that's how complete our reliance on Jesus truly has to be. Can I tell you a secret that'll save you a lot of time? If you couldn't earn your salvation in the first place, you can't earn it right now either. Jesus didn't die to give you a one-time get-out-of-hell-free card. He died so that you could walk with him every single day, so that he could teach you how not to be the man in the ditch 
anymore. You know something that I find really interesting? Because I have to be honest, if I was the Good Samaritan, I would have had questions. Um, why were you traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho alone? Was it on shady business? Right? I mean, you weren't supposed to do that. I don't know if you know that. But you're supposed to travel in groups and on the road from Jericho and Jerusalem. It's a dangerous road. There's bandits. What were you doing? Obviously, you were very irresponsible. Should I help you out of the ditch if your own irresponsibility put you there? But we treat Jesus like he's us. That's not what Jesus does. He sees him, has compassion for him, picks him up, binds his wounds, wraps him up, pours wine and honey and takes care of him, oil and just takes care of him, not honey because that would have been gross. Oil was the word that I wanted to say there. Takes good care of him. Because ditch dwellers need saviors, not lectures. And when I come to Jesus, we somehow think that we bend our knee and he goes, okay, fine, fine, I'll save you. But I have a list of 482 things about your life that just are terrible. And I want you to fix all of them right now. And if they're not all fixed in a week, well, I reject you. And I want you to feel terrible about yourself all the time. Nobody else deals with that? You're liars. <laughs> right? We deal with that. Because we think that Jesus is like us. We think that Jesus rescued us to judge us. We think that Jesus has a bunch of questions and is going, you know, really it was your own irresponsibility that put you there and I'm not that interested in rescuing us, but he is the despised Samaritan. He is the one who took on all the shame of your sin. You know that shame that you feel about your sin? He felt that. He took that at the cross. Not just your shame, but also everybody else's shame. You know how it's sometimes just too much to bear all of that regret that you carry every day for all of those things? He knows what it all feels like because he felt it and he carried it for you so that you could be free for the rest of your life. You don't have to carry it anymore because he already carried it. He's the good Samaritan. He's the one. He's the hero of the story. He's the hero of every story. But I've got great news. Because Jesus is the good Samaritan, we get to be good Samaritans too. You know that's who you always pretended you were in the story, right? Nobody pretends to be Robin. Everybody wants to be Batman, you know? We get to be Samaritans too. But until you have had the revelation that you're the man in the ditch, you will make a terrible Samaritan. Until you've had the revelation that you are broken, 
that you have issues. By the way, you do. You have issues right now. If you're in this room, you have issues because you're human. Until you've had the revelation that you have issues and that you have problems and that you have areas of your thinking that need to change and need to be adjusted and you have behaviors that need to be tweaked and need to be moved around until we have had that revelation of complete humility and reliance on Christ, we make terrible good Samaritans. Because people don't want to be helped by those who are trying to judge them at the same time they're trying to help them. They want to be helped by people who say, oh, you're a ditch dweller. We have so much in common. Let me tell you about the Good Samaritan and how now we're able to hang out together and we're able to do great things together and how one day you can be a Good Samaritan too. But this is the thing. Remember what it actually says in the story. People say the story of the Good Samaritan because that's what the Bible people who put the Bible together put as the heading for this section. The heading is not part of the Bible. The heading is to help you be more organized, and break it up into smaller pieces so you don't feel overwhelmed. What the Bible says is that he was the despised Samaritan. And the life that Jesus invites you into when you sign up to be a good Samaritan alongside him is in a life of being despised, a life of being rejected, a life of being reviled, a life of being misunderstood, a life of being labeled by people who don't know you at all. It is that kind of life. Merry Christmas. It's, it's that kind of life. But who cares? Because we get to align ourselves with the Savior of the world. We get to to live our life helping Jesus pull people out of ditches, just like the ones that we found ourselves in. I'm going to ask the band to come up or the piano player to come up or anyone to come up with a musical instrument. It's actually really encouraging that Jesus told us, and in, I'm gonna read the verse because I think, it's, I think it's helpful. John 15, 18, it says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you don't belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. Do you know some people read that as an excuse not to engage with the world? To reject the world first before it rejects you? To alienate the people who don't believe like you, look like you, act like you, live like you? That's not what that verse is supposed to be about. It's about giving you a heads up so you're not taken off guard. So that you have the strength to keep loving people, to keep caring for people, to keep going after people, to keep being with people in their pain, to walking with people over and over and over and over, year after year, day after day in your life. And when they don't respond the way that you wanted them to respond, you don't have to get discouraged. You can be like, Jesus told me, it's gonna be okay. 
when they accuse you and they say really ugly words about who you are, you don't have to get discouraged because he told you what was coming. There's another character in the story that I really love to talk about. It's actually my, my, my favorite part of the story. No, it's not the donkey. Although sometimes we should be like the donkey. We should just carry what Jesus tells us to carry and keep our mouth shut, but. But it's not the donkey. It's, it's, it's actually at the very end. Do you notice what Jesus does? Jesus takes the man to an inn. And then the next day, he hands the innkeeper a couple coins. And he says, take care of this man, but don't charge him anything. I'll pay you when I come back. I'll pay you when I come back. Until I come back, until then, until then, you care for the broken that I bring to you and don't charge them anything because I'll pay you when I come back. See, we as the Ecclesia, we as the followers of Christ, we as Chi Alpha, we as the church on the earth, we are the end. We are the end that stands at the crossroads of life. See, ends were strategically placed in those days at crossroads, on the difficult roads, on the dangerous roads, where they knew that people would need safety and shelter. We're the inn, and every one of us gets to sign up to be innkeepers for life. To love, to care, to bind up the brokenhearted, to set at liberty those who are captive, to take care of all of the wounded and the broken that Jesus brings our way and never to charge them a thing, not even to expect gratitude, not to expect a shout out, not to expect to be listed in their most influential people, not to ever expect a platform or a payment of any kind, not to expect a position, not to expect any of those things. Understanding that some of them are gonna be dropped off at the end and they're gonna stay two days and be gone in the night. And there's gonna be others that'll be there for 20 years. And it's not about the payment. It's about the identity that I have been called to be an innkeeper. And I'm gonna be an innkeeper for the rest of my life. I don't care who pays my bills. I don't care if I'm a lawyer or a CEO or a doctor or a nurse or a stay-at-home mom or a missionary. I 
am an innkeeper. That is my identity. This is my story. This is who I choose to be. And that's the invitation that I have for you this morning. The story that I want to give you. The thought process that I want you to meditate on is are you willing to live as an innkeeper? Are you willing to show up in heaven dirty and bruised with the blood of others who were bandaged up by you just all over your clothes, all messy, not having lived the good life, but having lived a good life? Working your whole life to man that in. I don't know about you. This has become the rallying cry of our church, of our community. But more than that, it's become the heartbeat of my life. That until then, until I get to go to that real place called heaven, until then, until I get to encounter God in that way I long for, but that only exists there. Until then, until I have that feeling of belonging where every part of me knows that I truly belong. Until then, I'll man the end. I'll stand at that door. I'll be on the outlook. Oh Jesus, you're bringing a broken one right now. I'm on it. I got the bandages ready and I'm not gonna charge them a cent. Hear me, so much of the disappointment of leadership and so much of the disappointment of following Christ comes from misunderstanding that only Jesus will pay you for what you do. And when you look to people to give you the affirmation and the validation and the gratitude and the payback and the reciprocation that can only come from the Holy One who one day is coming with rewards in His hand, then you will end up discouraged. You will end up losing your courage. You will end up totally broken because they can't pay you back. But He promised If it were not so, would I have told you? Because I go to prepare a place for you. I'm asking you to man the end down here, but I'm going to prepare a place for you. And one day I'll come back and I'll pay everything that's owed. Will you stand with me? I'm not gonna ask you to come down. That's not this morning's motif. I just want you to close your eyes and I want you to go through the story with me. I want you to try to practice honesty with yourself. It's one of the hardest things you'll ever do. Are you disappointed with the way that some things have turned out and so you've turned into the lawyer? No, the lawyer so couldn't even receive what Jesus had said. He couldn't bring himself to say the Samaritan was the neighbor. He, he literally just said, the guy who showed mercy. 
how messed up is that? But it's because Jesus was messing with him and with his question. He asked, who is my neighbor? And Jesus didn't say, well, these are the people that you should treat as a neighbor and love. He said, this is what a neighbor looks like. Are you, are you so disappointed that you've been spending your life justifying yourself Intimidated, so you've been justifying yourself. Content with the way you live your life and you don't want to change anything, so you're just using Jesus to justify yourself. Afraid of growing and becoming, so you're just using Jesus to justify yourself. I don't know. There's so many reasons to justify yourself, but is that who you are? Are you the priest? Are you the temple assistant? You've moved on from justifying yourself or maybe you're doing both at the same time and you're just judging others. Finding the little ways that you're superior and using those to discount the people who could speak into your life and could change everything. Judging others, turning them into objects. Judging the broken. Judging the hurting. Judging them. Have you had the revelation that you're the man in the ditch? Some of you in this place, you may not have even decided to follow Jesus yet. You got invited to go to Salt, somebody scholarshiped you maybe. You were like, I'll go, sounds fun. I just want you to know, Jesus doesn't have a 20 page application for you to fill out before he'll rescue from you from your ditch. He loves you. He is the savior of all ditch dwellers. Like the Samaritan, he was despised and rejected. But he still has compassion. The Samaritan rescued his oppressor, the one who had hurt him and rejected him. Nothing you have done intimidates God. Have you had that revelation? Have you forgotten that you are the man in the ditch? Have you forgotten what it felt like the first time that you really submitted your life to Christ fully? Are you willing to be the innkeeper? Are you willing to work your whole life and never really be paid down here? Are you willing to man the inn until then? every head bowed and every eye closed I just want to pray for you I just want to pray for you Holy Spirit move in this place do what only you can do convict our hearts 
show us where we've been using you to justify ourselves. Show us where we've been misusing you to judge others. Show us. Show us our own brokenness and how you still are willing to bind up our wounds, how you still are willing. Show us. Father, I pray that our hearts would yearn to be innkeepers. If that's you today, if you say, I'm ready to be an innkeeper for the rest of my life, I'm ready to sign on with you, Destiny. Until then, I'll man the end. Just lift both of your hands. I just wanna pray for you. God, I thank you for the innkeepers in this room. They're not signing up for lives of glamour or glory. They're signing up to do the messiness, the messiness of discipleship, the messiness of caring for people in their brokenness, the messiness of living a life where we know that our only payment comes from you. Father, I pray right now for the people who have been so disappointed and hurt and burnt out. By the way that those they've given their life to have responded. I pray that in this moment, you would give them such an assurance that their sacrifice was worth it. That you're always doing more than what they can see. And that you would heal their hearts. Give them courage and make them ready to man the end again. We trust you, Father. We need you. We love you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, amen.